0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. This is George... Patrick and I appreciate your downloading us once again this week. This week, we're going to be talking about books. Um, they're our favorite books about endurance athletics, about endurance athletes, um, but also a couple of our favorite overall general books as well. Uh, we appreciate your joining the conversation. Let us know some of your favorite books, some of the things that you would buy for folks on your gift list this holiday season. Facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast. Twitter at Pleasant Podcast. Or you can drop a line to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com, or to me, george at itlcoaching.com. As always, you can send one to the podcast at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach
1: here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: We hope that everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. It's topic week here once again. And Patrick, why don't you tell us about the
1: topic? So this week's topic is our favorite books about endurance athletes and endurance sports. Uh it's we're coming up on the holiday season here. Um a lot of our our athletes and and even fellow coaches have already run their target race and they've kind of completed an intense training cycle. And now it's time to take a step back and reflect on our sport and reflect on what we did. So now's always a a great time to kind of dive into, you know, some good books about our sport and kind of really kind of take a relaxed approach to to our training and to our, you know, our hobby that we, you know, are so intense about sometimes. So today we're going to talk about our favorite books, specifically right. our favorite books about endurance sports and endurance athletes. Um, and those of you who maybe are listening and are not you know, big runners or triathletes, you know, yourselves, I'm sure you have some friends or family members who are into the sport. So this could be a, a good way to to identify some some good Christmas gifts or Hanukkah gifts or, you know, whatever holiday you celebrate for somebody in your life who is obsessive about these types of things. Right on. Right on, um it's
0: also a good indication of what you should not buy for me and Patrick, because you know these are books we mostly have read
1: because <laughs> 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 i'm sure I'm, I'm sure all
0: of our regular podcast listeners are have been really fretting over what to get us for for the holiday, so here we go um, all right, so, so how yeah. how are we going to do it Patrick We're going to talk about what our favorites are, are we're going to talk about like uh, like like how do you want to go about it
1: so first of all, we're going to do it kind of draft style, so we're going to start off. Um, with a few different categories, so which I'll go over in a down. second, and then <laughs> and then for each category, we're going to pick our favorites um, one by one. So, like I'll say one, then you'll say the next, right? Okay. So, you know, start with your favorite because you're you're kind of trying to draft or or pick your favorite. And I'm sure we'll have some overlap. Okay. But that also makes it that much more fun. Okay. So first, we're gonna go. We're gonna name a few of our favorites. Books that are specifically about endurance sports and endurance athletes. Okay,
0: and so you just um, you just said this, so I want to make sure that that that, that i I got it totally right. I should start with like my number one draft pick, i.e., the one that is truly my favorite that I'm trying to steal from you, right? Exactly. All right, I got exactly. it. Well, who, so who gets the first pick? Uh, this is oh, crucial, good it's critical.
1: Good question. <laughs> well, usually the uh, in sports the one who. Uh, had the fewest wins goes first there so. you go and last go ahead last <laughs> time you
0: and i raced head to head was at the cam run 5k and you finished one place in front of me perfect all right so that means i get the first pick and and using a little strategy here applying it to the draft pick i'm going to choose one that i know that you would choose if you had the opportunity so i'm going to go with uh with once a runner by john l parker jr uh, will be my first draft pick here. Um Once a Runner actually came out in the nineteen seventies. Um it is an old, old running book. Um, but it's it's very much fits into to the the category of what we would call a cult classic um in running. Um for me, uh, it's it's a great book. It's it it centers around a guy named Quentin Cassidy, um and his quest to try and break the four minute mile. Um he is a, a uh sophomore or junior at uh at Southeastern University um which is basically the University of Florida it's a fictionalized version of the University of Florida which is where uh, John L. Parker himself was from, um, but he has uh, some friends uh, named Bruce Denton and and Jerry Miserelli, um, and the three of them uh, run and talk about life um, and and dislike football players and and, and all sorts of other things. Um, I read it when I was just truly beginning to turn my focus and my effort to running. I read it the uh, the summer before my <coughs> excuse me the summer before my my senior year in high school. Um, and I would put it as my number one draft pick not only because I really really enjoyed the book um, but also because if I think about the way that different books have influenced me and changed the way that I see the world um, this book pretty profoundly influenced the way that I see the world Um, for better or for worse I mean in some good ways and some less good ways probably Um, Once A Runner really really changed um, a lot of my outlook on running and on on sport so you've read it I know Patrick (laughs)
1: Oh, absolutely! I've read it many a times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, like you, I first read it when I was in high school, and we were kind of going for state championships and really kind of starting to take a very competitive approach to running. So that was the, the first time I read it, and it was it was such an eye opening experience because running is an activity that isn't really depicted very well or very accurately in most of pop culture, whether it be movies, TV shows, you know, novels, etc. Um I'm sure we could list off any number of, of TV shows where they have characters who are runners, and they try hard. They try to capture you know, what it's like to be a runner, but unless you've done it, it's hard to really um, capture the look and feel of running, right? The, the, the fatigue you feel at the end of the day, the sense of satisfaction you feel from putting in a hard workout when no one else even gets to see it. All those kind of things that go beyond just the textbook, you know, start and finish line, VO2 max, you know, aspects of running, you know, and, and this book really does better than any other book or novel or, or show, at just capturing what it feels like to be a runner. Yeah. If you're looking for, for training advice, this is not the book for you, but if you're looking to kind of feel a sense of companionship and, and kind of capture the emotion and the intensity of running, this is definitely bar none the best book there is out there.
0: Yeah, I would take a step farther and say a lot of times if, if, if runners are depicted um, on television, they're the they're the butt of the joke. Um that, that they're they're not being depicted as, as somebody inspirational. Um but but yeah, I think that you mentioned companionship. Um and I, I think that one of the things that, that really stood out to me, there's been a few experiences I've had throughout the course of my, my life, particularly when I was younger, obviously. Um when I was between the ages of, of sixteen and twenty five. Um, I had some experiences where where I had these realizations that oh wait, I'm not as weird as I thought I was. Um, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like, um, and I think, I think in the, in the digital age is a little bit different because it's easier to find your tribe. Um, uh, you know, if, if, if you like something or you're into something that nobody else is really into, you can find your tribe a little bit more easily now. Um, but when I read this back in 1992 or 1991, um, it was good to read it and know that oh wait other people feel this same way and other people approach it the same way and other people have a lot of the same frustrations um and a lot of the same difficulties that I do. Um and that was that was very comforting to me. Um and uh and so it 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 was good. I've had like I said I had a few experiences over the course of several years where where it was good to find out that no wait I'm not just because my neighbors aren't like me, just because my immediate friend group is not this way. I but I'm not weird. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, there. There are other people out there that are like me. Yeah, I think that's important.
1: That, that's that's exactly right. It kind of captures, or, or it it really makes you not feel alone, or make you say, "Oh yeah, I have felt this before," right? Because the novel at its core aggrandizes the insular world of a runner or and of a competitive runner yeah. in a way that maybe non-competitive runners could not relate to, or just non-runners period could not relate to. Right. Um, because I mean, think about it. You know, endurance athletes, not just runners, they give themselves over to a very kind of private pursuit and they endure a lot of discomfort to actualize their goals and to reach their, you know, their targets. Right. And, you know, uh, the the road to, to greatness is, is paved with a lot of very tiny, boring sights and sounds. It's alarm clocks early in the morning. It's ice baths. It's, you know, um, the your shoes pounding the pavement early in the morning. I mean, the realities of top-level athletes, and by top-level athletes, I mean anybody try, going for a marathon or, or a triathlon. It is, you know, it requires a, a complete commitment to your pursuit, mm-hmm. and not only that, it, it, it requires a lot of mundane actions. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of running, a lot of swimming, and a lot of biking. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any novel really captures the overwhelming mundaneness of our sport mm-hmm. better than than once a runner. In a way that a captures the mundaneness, but also makes you feel the same anxiety and excitement yeah. you get from the big race.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, even even that idea that you're talking about in the book, uh, John Parker refers to that idea of the the repetitive nature of the sport as the trial of miles. Um. And and he yes. says he says that that it's basically the the slow and steady process of wearing all the rubber off the bottom of your shoes. Um. And like like that notion, the trial of miles, that's that's a profoundly influential idea inside of, of the endurance sporting community. Um, we heard it in our interview with Pete Ray several months ago. Um, he talked about, you know what? There's really no substitute. <laughs> um, I used to always tell mm-hmm. the high school runners that I used to coach back in the day, the secret is there is no secret. Like you just have to put in the work. Um, that's the trial of miles. You have to endure this trial if you want to be successful. Um, so very good. We should probably move on. Otherwise, we're not going to get to the rest of our draft picks. What's your number one draft pick now that I, uh, now that I took Once a Runner from you?
1: Sure. So real quick, actually, I, I found a really cool stat about Once a Runner that, that kind of highlights what you, the point you were making about you know the fact that it has a cult following, but also was not you know super po- popular outside of our own little cultish world of, of running and endurance athletes. Mm-hmm. So Parker originally was a self-published athlete, right. and, or excuse me, author, excuse me. And before 2004, um, the cheapest used paperback copy of Once a Runner could be found for about $70 mm-hmm. because he had not republished it since, right. you know, back in the late 70s.
2: Right. So,
1: fortunately, new copies were printed in April of 2004. Right. But it's kind of interesting to think about that.
2: You know, oh, I mean, it yeah. was in such high demand that.
1: that it could... Yeah, I mean, it was... I remember having to borrow the book from my high school running coach because, and he wanted everybody to read it, so he had almost had to... Check it out like it was a library book.
2: Yeah, But think I,
1: about that. It was in such high demand that it could be priced at almost 50 cents a page. It's not a long book. Yet, not enough people wanted it for an additional printing to be made.
0: Yeah. No, it's actually, I, I, I like this, the second part of there, but not enough people wanted it for an additional printing to be made. I'll take it, I, I'll put it. I'll personalize it for you. So I said I read it in the summer of 1991. I bought it at running camp. Which, by the way, running camp also serves that role. You go to running camp and it's like, holy cow, all these people here run just like I do. And you meet all of these It's great. Anyway, um, running camp was like the best thing back in the day. Um, And so I I bought a copy of it at running camp where John Parker himself was actually a counselor. Um, And so I bought a copy of it there for, you know, $8 or whatever a book cost in, in the summer of 1991 and read it then. I then had it on my shelf for the next 11 or 12 years. And when I was a Baroque college student, a broke PhD student in 2003 or 2004, I happened to go online and saw that Once A Runner, used copies of Once A Runner were selling for such a high price, and I sold mine for $200. Two hundred dollars, <laughs> and and because Whoa. I need because I, I needed two hundred dollars, um, and I look back on that and I'm like, that's too bad. I don't have the original copy of the book that that I read when I was in high school, um, and that I let other people borrow and all that sort of thing. Um, but but I needed that two hundred dollars when I was when I was working on my PhD and I was a broke grad student. And so uh, I have since bought another copy and have read it a time or two since then. Uh, you know, it, with with the reprinting there, um, and he has also made sequels to the book, which I've read as well, which I know you have too.
1: I have. I'll also throw in one quick story as well. I actually read the book, um, a as a high school student, but then I went back and reread it after my collegiate career was done. And I was debating about whether or not I wanted to start running again. Mm -hmm. So uh, kudos to, to John Parker for kind of helped motivate me or or kickstart me to, to take up this crazy hobby of running again as an adult.
0: Yeah. On two different occasions. That's always, I think the indicator of a good book um, be it a philosophical book or a fictional book or, um, or a nonfiction, whatever, is that that you can read it at different times in your life when you're a different person, you're bringing different things to it and you still get something out of it. Like it still stands up for you over time. Um, some of the most influential books on me that I've read you know, more than once, I've read several times, I read them every five or six years and when I read them I find something new and I find that the ideas still stand up over time even though I'm a changed person. Um and yeah, Once a Runner I think has has stood up that way for me, um, in terms of fictional books. Um, very good. What's your number one draft pick, man?
1: All right, my number one draft pick is The Perfect Mile by Neil Back. Oh,
0: backtrack. okay, you took back one of mine. Very good.
1: Keep going. There we go. I, I knew I had to steal one from you if you pick <laughs> once a runner for me. Um, so it was originally published in I think two thousand three or so. Um, so to kind of backtrack it is like most landmark historical moments, you know, Roger Bannister's run is one that, you know, really has, you know, large implications and is one we still think about and it still kind of captures our imagination here years later. I mean, it was 54 years ago that, that he ran that, that quote unquote perfect mile. And it it, it is one that, you know, it, Bannister's mile was perhaps the most significant and, and greatest running achievement of the last century. And this book really helps capture the journey that he took along with Wes Santee and John Landy to reach that historical moment when they finally broke the four-minute mile. Mm-hmm. I mean, it certainly is history's most remembered and celebrated run. Mm-hmm. And with the possible exception of Pheidippides' run in ancient Greek, you know, which led to the... Do uh, uh, you hear me? Ancient Greek, not ancient Greece. <laughs> um, which led to the modern-day marathon. This, book, this mile may have been the most significant race in running history and it, it deserved a book like this that um really helps capture the drama of the day i mean they talk about you know the, the the depression that england was going through that great britain was going through after world war ii it was talking about how they really needed you know a, a galvanizing moment to you know rally around as a nation and it's it. it, 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 it it's written by an author who is more of a journalist and a historian than, an, than a runner. Mm-hmm. And that kind of helps bring a very different perspective mm-hmm. to the book. So, because he is someone unlike a John L. Parker, who's kind of new to the sport and, and new to the sights, the sounds, the emotions, mm-hmm. but in a way that also lets him offer a perspective that is unique or one that maybe a runner would not think of. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of the, the yin to once a runner's yang and that, it is based in a real event it, you know, it's not a fictional character mm-hmm. um, and it does take a bit more of a historical bend and kind of places the the four minute mile that the is to run into a very historical context mm-hmm. and It just talks about you know why or, how a race could become such a big event and such a monumental event despite the fact that it is a man running four laps around the track mm-hmm. in under four minutes It's a really kind of arbitrary event, but at the same time takes on historical significance mm-hmm
0: very good yeah i it, it that was on my list as well um it's a it's a a brilliant brilliant uh uh book um and and it's funny because um kind of like you just said it it you think about the four minute mile and it was super influential and 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 very significant not only inside the running community but also inside the the, the much larger pop community um but this book does a really good job of talking about how 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 it was and why it was and and how it was not quite as straightforward as as it comes off as um, and so yeah I, I thought it was a, a super interesting book and uh, and and very much worth reading it's been in my hall of fame for a while and I knew that you had talked about it before um, and so 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 I figured you'd probably be talking about it here now I'm gonna break our draft rules just a little bit here um, and mention. Okay. Um, you said that that he talks about in the book about how how uh, Roger Bannister broke it, but then he also talks a lot about John Landy and Wes Santee, um, who were other people that folks thought might be the first person to break that. Um, another person he mentions in the book that a lot of folks thought may potentially uh, be the first person to run under four minutes is a guy named Louis Zamperini. Um, and Louis mm-hmm. Zamperini was from from Torrance, California. Um, he ran the five thousand meters in the nineteen thirty six Olympic Games in Berlin, the so called you know Hitler Games, the Nazi Games. Um, and, and then he was in the military during World War I and became a prisoner of war, um, and, and, uh, had to suffer under, um, uh, being a prisoner of war in a Japanese internment camp for a really, really long time. Um, but there was a book written about him called Unbroken, um, by a woman named Laura Hildebrand. Um, Laura Hildebrand is probably best known for writing the book Seabiscuit, um, and then Unbroken was actually made into a movie um, uh, directed by Angelina Jolie just a couple of years ago. Um, it is mind-blowing. It's such a fantastic book, but it is, it is such a good, good, good book, and, and what Louis Zamperini, who only died last year or so, um, it, well into his 90s, what he was able to survive and endure um, as not just a runner... But also as as a survivor on a literally on a life raft in the Pacific Ocean, um, and then as a as a prisoner of war in a Japanese internment camp during World War II. So so yeah, Unbroken. If you haven't read that, you need to read it. Have you read that, Patrick? I have not. It's on the list. Yeah yeah, you need to read it. It's super good. Um, um, all right. Um, my next one, so as I look, so Perfect Mile, Once a Runner, those are like the two that were on my top of my draft list here that I knew that you would probably want here. As I look at the remaining three, I have to kind of rank them and say, okay, which one is Patrick most likely to have on his list as well? And actually, I don't think you're likely to have any of them. So <laughs> um, so, the, so so the next one I'm going to say then, um, so for my next draft pick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a book that actually is the most recent book that I have completed, the most recent running book I've completed. Um, and that was Let Your Mind Run by Dina Castor. Um, I had I had heard about this book. Um, several people that I coach and other people that I know had had, had read the book by Dina Castor. Uh, Dina, Dina Drazen Castor is the, uh, the American record holder in the marathon uh, and she finished third in the Olympic marathon in Athens in 2004. Um, she was a bronze medalist there. Um, she's run under 220 for a marathon um, and so uh, really amazing athlete here. Um, but the book is really, really, really heavily focused on not just the transformation that took place in her as a result of being a runner, but the transformation that took place in her mind um, as a result of being a runner and some of the transformations that she expressly made in order to improve her running that also made her a better person. Um, and so, so I, I found myself thinking about the book a lot over the course of the past two or three weeks since I finished it. Um, And I think that's one way that you can kind of sometimes tell a good book um, or a good meal or or something else or a good movie that that when you find yourself thinking about it and reflecting on it a lot and, and sort of grappling with the ideas in the book. Two or three weeks after you have finished reading the book, it's probably a pretty good book, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I, I I bought it about a month before the Philadelphia Marathon because I was like, okay, I got a marathon in a month, and and I, I need to, I want to read a running book, you know, uh, in order to to really kind of get my myself set for it. And so I got it and I read it in a week, <laughs> and I was like, well, so much for that plan. And so I had to go on to a different book as well. Um, but
1: uh, but yeah, it was excellent. It was very good. Have you read it, Patrick? I have not. So. I don't have too, too much added to add to this discussion, but what was your biggest takeaway from the book or what was the one thing that stuck with you when you talk about how you had to chew on it for, for several weeks after completing the reading? Okay, what was so, the kind of the one so, biggest takeaway you had?
0: So, so two things I'll say. One is it was a really interesting um, glimpse into what life is like for a professional, uh, a professional female distance runner at the highest levels. And it's different for a professional female distance runner than it is for a professional male distance runner. Um and, and that was really, really interesting to see. So not only like her transition to being a pro, which is something that we talked about on this podcast with Nicole Di Mercurio before, um, uh, and something we talked about with Hayley Chura before, but but her her um the way that she trains and the stuff that she does and her interactions with her coaches. Like, like all that stuff was really, really, really interesting to see. Just the mechanics of, of being a pro-female distance runner was just very interesting to see.
1: Um, but probably the biggest... Okay. Go ahead. So I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. So to draw back on one of our, our, or your first draft pick, Once a Runner, one of the criticisms that Once a Runner has received is that, you know, part of part of its beauties is is that it really captures the mundaneness of running Mm -hmm. however one takeaway a lot of people have when they read that book is that to be a great runner or be a great athlete you have to have zero distractions and almost move away into a cabin and have you know you know an environment where you're surrounded by no distractions whatsoever not family friends job etc and so you know, there's kind of this myth that has kind of come from that book where, you know, Quentin moved away into the cabin and, and really had to kind of be nothing but a runner um, to kind of remove distractions and, you know, live on Walden Pond, so to speak, and only focus on training. I think there's even a quote in there where he talked about how, you know, if running is not the most important thing in your life, then, you know, you're, you're never going to be able to reach the elite stage. So it sounds like this book almost offers a different perspective.
0: Kind of. I mean, because she does, she does move away. <laughs> I mean, she, she, she actually, um, when she was sort of an unproven uh, post-collegiate runner, um, she was good, um, but she really took a leap of faith, and she moved to small-town Colorado and, and started trying to train, and it took her a little while to transition to actually um, becoming the athlete that she would be. And then, and then even once she started doing well, she had some really, really big breakthroughs to come after that too. Um, and so, so maybe, I mean, she, she, she did always have the group and the group was an important part to her. And at one point she has a falling out with one of her groups and it profoundly impacts her. I mean, it, it crushes her emotionally and socially. Um, and so, so it's kinda interesting to read that. And so on the one hand, she she did have to take a leap of faith and move away and, and but but she didn't go to a cabin in the woods by herself. She moved to the place where her coach was and where her group was. She she kind of she 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 did move, but she moved to a group. She didn't move away from a group, if that makes sense. Do you see what I mean? Like like she, yeah, she, and- she she went to a place where she could more Actively construct her her environment to be around her running, but that didn't necessarily mean being solo.
1: That? That's that's a great point. It, it makes me think of of that fitness in many ways, right? Yeah. Like there's a yeah. reason that that fitness is not located in the middle of New York City, where there right. is a lot of distractions and there is a lot to do right. when you're not running. However, it, the group aspect is an important part of their training and right. of their growth as athletes. Right. right.
0: So, so the other, the other big takeaway from it is in, and the one thing that I've thought about a lot over the course of the past couple of weeks is, is the way that she took an active role in training her mind. Um, and, and so she, she basically through her running and in consultation with her coach and a few other things, identified aspects of her thinking of her self-concept of her, of her worldview, um, that were destructive. Um, to herself as a person and in turn to herself as a runner um, and there were things that, that she had developed via running and via her life but then things that if she wanted to go to the next level she had to actively train and change um, and she did that um, and that helped her to achieve more and so like that idea of, of being super reflective and thinking about okay this is the way that I am and the way that I act and the way that I think and this is not good for me as a person and as a runner. And so I'm going to work to actually change those things in order to make myself a better person, and a better runner. Um, I think that was a big theme of the book. And I think that was super important. Um, this this sort of reflective process of, of identifying some of your, your potential faults and actually working to improve them. And that will in turn have – and make you a better person, but it will also make you a better runner. Um, I think that was – that was important and it's not and it's and it wasn't just the stuff like oh you need to train your brain to get in a flow state better it wasn't stuff like that it wasn't like like mental tips and tricks it was like profoundly reinventing the way that you think and believe in order to to make yourself a better person and in turn a better runner um I thought that was really interesting and that and that's probably the thing I've really been reflecting on the most and wrestling with and grappling with the most is 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 thinking about in my own life what are some things that I do in some ways that I act not just as a runner but just as a husband and as a dad um that that um I can change or I can or I can accentuate or I can strengthen that will in turn make me a better runner and, and vice versa what are some things I do as a runner? That that are really worthwhile that I can apply in in other aspects of my life mindsets here, um, so so yeah that that that's something I've thought about a lot, um, and something frankly that I applied in Philadelphia in, in my most recent marathon which was successful which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, um, yeah.
1: I love that idea. So to kind of unpack the idea a little bit, you know, when I first looked at the title and so I just kind of Googled the book once you, once you drafted it, so to speak, and mm-hmm. the title is A Memoir of Thinking My Way to Victory. Yeah. So I almost couldn't help but kind of roll my eyes like, oh, thinking your way to victory, please. Um, not another self-help book. But I love the idea of using running as an index of self-improvement. And what I mean by that is I, I know in my own life when I'm happiest, when things are, are clicking the most, when I'm you know, doing well in my job when I have kind of other areas of my life well aligned and kind of well situated, my running tends to improve, mm-hmm. right? It's not the only thing that contributes to running success, but it, it is a significant part. I can see that I miss, more often than not when I miss workouts, it's because there are other areas of my life that are out of sync or out of whack, right? More so than, than, than not wanting to run. So in many ways, running almost is like the, the way to, it's the best way to almost crystallize Mm -hmm. how well I'm doing so to speak you know and so it it it, it, it's interesting to look back and say hey and uh, or to use running as a bit of a a barometer to say you know what I'm not doing so well in running right now what does that say about other areas of my life Mm -hmm. and then how can I improve it Mm -hmm. right and it sounds like that's a little bit like what she was getting at hers was Mm -hmm. kind of kind of flipped it where she said how can I improve my running I can improve my running by doing these other things Mm -hmm. but you talked about being a better father better you know better husband etc. It's interesting to think that we could even use running as a way to think about how to improve those other areas of our life. Oh yeah, because it can almost help us identify when we're falling short or when we're not feeling um, as prof- like we're meeting our goals as profoundly as we'd like to be.
0: Yeah, it goes in both directions. I mean, I, I think that that um, if and again, just looking back on my most recent race, which was the the first race I run after having I ran after having completed this book. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to say it was, it was a one to one, but, but I think more than anything in the Philadelphia marathon, I embraced the person I am as a dad. I embraced it as a runner, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And, and when we talk about, and I'm still, again, I'm still grappling with the idea. <laughs> and so, so I, I, and so we can talk a little bit more about it when we do our Philadelphia marathon, uh, report here in a couple of weeks, but, but, um, but, 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 the, the, the sort of goofy and, 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 um, loving and, and social, um, and, and positive emotional person that I am as a dad. And my wife will tell you, I'm all of those things as a dad. I kind of embraced those as a runner for the first time in the Philadelphia marathon. Um, and I had a really good race. Um, and that's, that's important. Um, and I, and I, and I, don't think that that's, I don't think that that's a, that's a coincidence. Um, I think that, that saying the person, the good aspects of me as a dad, I'm going to try and be those things as a runner as well. And I think it will make me a better runner. And I, I think it probably, at least on this one occasion did. Um, so yeah. Um, all right, we've been talking for thirty minutes and we're three books in, man. <laughs> we we got to pick up pace, I think. Um, hey, know. we like these books. What can we say? Right, right, yeah. All right, keep going. All right, I, but but I threw all in right. the one extra about Unbroken there, so yeah. I guess we've talked about four, but keep going.
1: So I guess my next draft pick would be the book Bowerman and the Men of Oregon, written by Kenny Moore. Oh, cool. Um, I I I don't know when exactly it was published, but. It is essentially the biography of Bill Bowerman, and it just tells the story of his life, not only as a coach, but as a man. Mm -hmm. And what I find so fascinating about this book is, as a coach and kind of overall running nerd, there are so many great anecdotes that I pick up on Mm -hmm. or that I learn from his stories and Mm -hmm. from his life, right, about how he came to the idea of hard days, hard, easy days, easy. Because he was kind of the first to introduce that, where he says, hey, you know what, let's not run hard every day. Let's alternate between days. And it really was just him as a coach observing his athletes and saying, you know what, let's try this instead. Um, I mean, and for those of you who don't know, Bill Bowerman was a a very influential uh, coach. He was the coach of Oregon um, all through the 60s and 70s. Uh, He coached Steve Prefontaine. And he even had a huge influence on the invention of Nike or the founding of Nike. Um, I believe it was Phil Knight who, who founded Nike, but he was the one who coached Phil Knight and kind of helped nurture his love of running, and I mean, he was the one who was making shoes. There you go, for Phil Knight originally.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, he was really making shoes on waffle irons. Yeah, um, that's right. I said waffle irons, <laughs> little waffle irons. Yeah. Um, not quite the vapor flies, so to speak. No, and even even those shoes he made, he simply made via trial and error. He decided, you know what? Let's try this. Okay, well, let's try this. Right, let's let's adjust this a little bit more because he found that there were no such. At that time, there were really no such thing as running shoes. So he was trying to invent, you know, shoes for his athletes that allowed them to run faster, run harder, run further than than other athletes. So he was really kind of a renaissance man, but a renaissance man in a way that was very old school. Um, You know, he obviously lived before the digital era, so he couldn't just look up a bunch of academic articles the same way you or I can. So a, a lot of his findings and a lot of his philosophies came from simple trial and error so it's just fascinating to see how he came to you know the the different philosophies he did hold and to kind of just read about um how he evolved as a coach and as a person mm-hmm. like he originally started as a football coach and then just became a track coach because they said hey we need you to coach something in the spring mm-hmm. and then track ended up kind of becoming overcoming his love of football and he became primarily a track and, and running coach mm-hmm. yeah
0: I, I haven't read this one. Um, I'm glad you said who Bowerman was, obviously, because that, that, that's pretty key. Um, Kenny Moore, the guy who wrote the book, it should be said, was was, was a runner. He recruited Steve P. Fontaine, um, and so he was a couple years older mm-hmm. than Steve P. Fontaine at, at the University of Oregon. Um, he himself ended up being an Olympic trials qualifier in the marathon, uh, and then he ultimately became a writer for Runner's World, I know, for a while. I'm not sure what he's up to now. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's written by you know a, a, somebody from a, from a running perspective as well um, and an insider's perspective there because uh, he was coached by Bill Bowerman for four years, um, ultimately successfully. Yeah, I, I I always like I I always like hearing about Bill Bowerman's approach for a lot of things because I do really appreciate the experimentalism that he took towards everything. I mean, not just the shoes, obviously, but I mean, he's literally, like you said, he's making shoes on the waffle iron in his kitchen. And then he's, he's giving them to his athletes and having them run in them. I mean, like that idea, um, and just like, Hey, I have this, you know, captive group of experimenters. Let's see how these shoes work for them. Um, but then also training methods and everything else. Um, I, I, I appreciate that, that lab approach. Um, and it's one that I try and take, um, uh, in my coaching, but, but even in my teaching as well. Um, let's try this lesson. Does it work? Didn't work. Let's try it again. Try something different. You know, I mean, that's. I think taking a lab approach to to life, to teaching, to running, to coaching, I think is a really, really good thing. Yeah, very good,
1: very good. Um, all right. And then one thing I want to add too about him, just really quickly, he was the one who brought jogging to America in many ways. I mean, yeah. think about that. For yeah. him, it was almost sprint or walk.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's pretty monumental that he he went out. He met Arthur Lydiard in New Zealand kind of saw how Ulf had created this idea of jogging and then brought that back to America and obviously incorporated that in his runners and said hey let's have a lot of easy days let's have a lot of nice easy jogging long runs and then he took that and then really helped kind of explode the jogging boom of the 70s yeah beyond yeah. not just his own training group but you know within you know kind of the population at large
2: yeah for sure so it's a,
1: it's a fascinating story i mean he like i said he kind of helped establish nike he coached the u.s track and field team he invented the waffle shoe um, or the waffle sole running shoe Uh, just a fascinating man and story and uh, you really learn a lot about our sport and the history and development of our sport through his life so it's it's a great read for anybody looking for a, a rather long but interesting uh narrative to dive into very good very good all right, so the
0: next book I'll mention is also a history. Um, it's a, 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 a biography centering around a particular person. Um, and it's a book by a British author named Richard Asquith called Today We Die a Little. Um, and it is a, uh, it's a biography of, of Emil Zatopek. Um, Emil Zatopek, who we've talked about before on this, uh, on this podcast, um, was a Czechoslovakian runner. Um, who, uh, who in the 1952 Helsinki games won the 5,000 meters, the 10,000 meters and the marathon all in a single Olympic games. Um, he has a lot of other distinctions, um, as far as those sorts of things go competitive things. He was the first person ever to run under 29 minutes for 10 K for example. Um, um, and he like Bill Bowerman, like we were just talking about was also very experimental in his training. Um, he was one of the first people to, to really do, um, interval training like repeat training so hard easy hard easy in a particular workout um, so, so doing like 400 meter repeats and stuff like that he used to train in um, he used to train in in uh, real heavy boots because he was in the military and so he would he would run through the snow and kind of do high knees wearing heavy boots in the snow and stuff like that um, and so so also very experimental um, in, in his approach and was clearly very successful with it um, but more than that and so so I, I like it because like the first part of the book, because because Richard Asquith, who's also a, who's a journalist but also a runner, includes all the stuff that he did that's interesting, but also includes like his times and stuff, which to me as a runner I just thought was interesting. It it, it just made it that much better. And I, I imagine if somebody else read it and said said that well he ran fourteen thirty at this particular race, and then two weeks later he ran fourteen ten. They, they might not necessarily think all that much of it. But for me, like that was meaningful that he actually included those specifics around the time. Um, and the actual specific training methods and the specific workouts. Um, he didn't say, oh, and so he started doing you know, quarter mile repeats. He said, no, he went out and did 60 quarter mile repeats, which is something he did sometimes. Um, and was so, so he was specific about those, those training methods, um, which I thought, thought was important. Um, and then also, in addition, the second half of the book is basically about his post-running life. Um, and his post-running life was super interesting and inspirational as well because he... In the late 1960s, by virtue of having traveled around the world a great deal and was super friendly and was an ambassador for the sport and learned all sorts of different languages and all that sort of thing, he was very critical um, and kind of got sucked up into a lot of the political criticisms of the Czechoslovakian government, which was, of course, backed by the USSR during the Cold War. Um, and, and he kind of real good-naturedly and one could perhaps even argue sort of naively got caught up in a lot of anti-government movements which were then really brutally repressed and so throughout the 1970s and 1980s he found himself kind of in no man's land um he was a persona non grata inside of Czechoslovakia um and they wouldn't let him leave the country and wouldn't let him travel around and 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 pretty much broke his spirit um and so it's 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 tragic but also interesting to read like that whole part of his life as well um because that's that's a hugely important story but we tend to say oh 1952 Olympic games and this as if his life stopped then his life didn't stop then and in fact there were some really really important chapters of his life uh that were still to be to be told um and so we we can learn a lot about him as a person um and and learn a lot that we can apply to our lives um by the latter half of his life too so so yeah um, you
1: haven't read that one, have you? I have not, but to, to build on your point, he, he's just such an interesting person, Zadapok. I mean, one of his my favorite quotes of his is, we are different, in essence, from other men. If you want to enjoy something, run 100 meters. If you want to experience something, run a marathon. <laughs> I mean, I think that just so perfectly encapsulates his spirit, his personality, and really the personality of a lot of runners and a lot of endurance athletes everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, you know... Running and, and running a marathon, completing a triathlon—it's not just about enjoying it; it's about feeling something. It's about experiencing, um, you know, kind of the the beauty and hurt of humanity. So, and and he of course is just such a, a fascinating character. As as many listeners of this podcast may already know, he was the one who inspired the name of this podcast. Right. I mean, right. he was the one who was quoted saying, "I was unable to walk for a week," and this is in reference to the Helsinki his marathon win at the Helsinki Olympics. Um, I was un- unable to walk for a whole week after that. So much did the race take out of me, but it was the most pleasant exhaustion I have ever known. Yeah. Um, so if the book has quotes like that and kind of captures that spirit, I'm all for it. Absolutely, it does.
0: Um, yeah, and and you know, we, and we've talked about this with guests, and we've talked about it with one another, and I've talked about it not on the podcast several times, and that's the reason why the podcast was named this: the most pleasant exhaustion there to me there there is not a more descriptive uh phrase of what it is that we are seeking to do through endurance sports than that um we are seeking to become exhausted pleasantly <laughs> you know we we're, we're always in 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 search of that most pleasant exhaustion um and and that's what he talked about you know there at the after he had finished that that marathon and gotten his third third gold medal there um yeah, he was exhausted, but it was it was a super pleasant exhaustion um and I think that that sort of that contradictory feeling um of of being exhausted but having be something that that you really like is not something that people outside of endurance sports totally can grasp um uh, yeah, another, I mean, and he's a very quotable person. <laughs> um, another one of his, uh, his, his, famous quotations that, that I often think of as well is, um, and I know a few people that, that I coach really like this too, but he said, if one can stick to the training throughout the many long years, then willpower is no longer a problem. It's raining. That doesn't matter. I am tired. That's beside the point. It's simply that I must, um, and that, that idea of you must train, like, like it's not about willpower, but, but there's something more deeply fundamentally inside of you that, that drives you to do these things. Um, because it's a part of who you are and you've been doing it for years and you can't imagine your life without it. That's something I get to. Um, and so, so again, yeah, it, it goes without saying that, that a, a biography of Emil Zadopek would probably be on my list here, but yeah, it's a great book. Um, and it's, it's inspiring and meaningful and important. Yeah. Very good.
1: That's right. the book The book title is "To Die Today." We die a little, mm-hmm. and for those of you wondering, that was the runner up title for this podcast. Today we die a <laughs> little. I decided that wasn't great branding, so yeah, that might lead us in a different direction or a different tone yeah, in this no podcast. Kidding.
0: Yeah, and 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 fittingly, and we, we I sh- should have mentioned the whole that, that of course is from a, from a Pit quotation as well, um, and so so uh, the uh, in that Olympic marathon. Um, he supposedly at the uh, at the at the starting line looked around a little bit and said gentlemen today we die a little or something like that um, but then he followed it up with something along the lines of but 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 it will have been worth it um, and then actually during that race which by the way the 1952 Helsinki marathon it was his first marathon um, he had never run one before um, he uh, he's running along don't try
1: that at home folks
0: yeah yeah don't, <laughs> don't try that at home um, he uh, he 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 was running along and he was next to one of the favorites who had some experience in the marathon. And he looked at the guy and said, um, you know, this pace, is it too slow? And the guy goes, no, it's too fast and ran off and left him, you know. And uh, and then, of course, that ended up catching him and beating him. Um, But anyway, so there's a lot. I mean, he's 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 like he's he's sort of a I don't want to say a goofball, but he's kind of a goofball character as well which is what makes the book also so interesting that he was everybody he, he everybody loved him he was like um, I don't want to say the class clown but he was he was he was the most popular guy in the class too I mean all these Olympic athletes just just idolized him and and, and he was such a good guy and would spend so much time and uh, with, with a wide variety of people and then given then what happened to him and what was done to him and in, in the latter part of his life in, in the 1970s and 1980s up until the end of the Cold War um, it just makes it that much more tragic and, um, and and important to recognize that that he was more than just this amazing runner. That there there there's there's something to him as well. And that I guess probably circles back around to what we were talking about with Dina Castor too, doesn't it? Um, so anyway, all right, you give me one more. All right, is this my last one? I you know we've been talking for, so much for this about category
1: blocks. that is. So so yeah yeah so 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 go ahead. All right. Mine is "Going the Distance" by friend of the podcast and previous podcast mm-hmm. guest Brandon Hudgens. Okay. Um, so those of you who remember, we interviewed Brandon Hudgens uh, a few months ago um, to talk about his his journey, you know, from being a vasculitis patient, on, you know, on the way to running at the Olympic trials. And this book was written a few years ago and really kind of helps chronicle that journey. It, it's it, in many ways his own autobiography and his own, you know thoughts and insights and stories about how he went from being a collegiate runner to a vasculitis patient to ultimately a vasculitis patient who was able to run a sub four minute mile. Um, I love the book because it has so many great anecdotes that I can, I can relate to. And and I know a lot of the characters in the books. I mean, I I know the people he's mentioning. I know the, you know, when he, when he talks about, you know, running with certain people, I've met them, I know them. Um, So it's, it's a fascinating read. I highly recommend it. It's a quick read, which is which I like even more. Um, but it's it's one I highly recommend because for, for anybody who is, you know, dealing with a chronic illness or, or knows or loves someone or has a, a family member with a chronic illness, there's so much more that you can relate to in his book. You know, you mentioned reading Once a Runner and saying to yourself, oh, I thought I was the only one that felt this. Yeah. I, you know, but it's it's there are other people out there. His book has much of the, the, the same feeling when, when, um, you read about what it's like to go through having a chronic illness, um, and it, it, not just a chronic illness, but in, an autoimmune, um, I don't know if disorder is the right word, so I apologize if it's not, because it's, it's, it's a rather unpredictable, um, condition and to have to live with, with that kind of unpredictability hovering over the rest of your life is something that not many people can relate to, but if it's something you are familiar with, it is, uh. Very comforting to to read about it in someone else's life and kind of know you 're not the only one
0: right on yeah if, if you if you want to understand a little bit more and, and get a sense of what it is that that he talks about in the book, by all means check out the interview that we did with him back in august um, and it, it it was good it was interesting um and it's it's um, it's not what you would expect i mean <laughs> uh, i I think that, that he does have some interesting lessons um, and some inspiring things to say about about how he has dealt with the 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 obstacles that he's had to overcome as a runner, so very good, very good. Yeah, he doesn't
1: sugarcoat for sure. No. This is not a no. it's not necessarily an inspirational book in, in the traditional sense, but right. it, it's one that I think um, a lot of people can take comfort in and, and release them.
0: Absolutely, I think it's interesting. So you and I have both now said what three or four books here, um, and and. It's interesting that all the books we've, we've so-called drafted here early, the ones that we talked about were our best and the ones that we recommend most highly, none of them are, are books about how to train. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and, as, mm-hmm. and as much as we talk about like research and how to train and mistakes that you shouldn't make and, and all that sort of thing on this podcast, none of these books are actually about, hey, here's a training schedule that you should follow. Um I think that's interesting. I wouldn't have necessarily thought that, that was the way that this podcast was going to go when we first started it. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, very good.
1: That's that's uh, a great point because it it's not just about you know what you do, but how you feel doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so let's let's talk about
0: a couple. Of, so so do you have like some books that you would recommend for training stuff? Um, where, where, where are we going next with this? So so we we've, we've done our draft. We we've, we've got our starting teams here, um, but I still have a long list of books that I also read that I thought were worthwhile. So 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 how are we going to go about it next?
1: All right. So you actually bring up a good point. We're going to call it a bit of an audible here. Why don't we each share our favorite <laughs> training book? All right. All right. and it know. doesn't have to include a training plan. It doesn't have to be something that you have to follow to a T. Okay. but maybe the book that most influenced um, how you make decisions about training and about uh, preparing for an endurance race.
0: Okay, very good. Um, um, so let's see, looking at the ones I have here, I think the one that I would probably say for that one is a book by uh, Joe Friel, um, and he had a co-author named Byrne, um, and I can't remember what Byrne's first name is, uh, called Going Long, um, and it's a it's a multi-sport book, um, and it's about how to train for long course races. <laughs> Um, and I think that, that it it was it was super interesting for me to read because I read it at a time when I was, um, I was, I was I had just completed my first Ironman, and my coach, who I liked and who was supportive, I felt like had asked me to do things that didn't really work for me um, and that weren't really all that worthwhile. And I had a sense of a couple of things that I think would have been a little bit better, and I read this book by, by Joe Friel, um, who's really, really highly respected inside the, the multi-sport community. Um, and, and it very heavily influenced w- the, w- the way that I approach it from then on, the way the sports balance with one another, um, the way that, that, uh, what you should accentuate in your training, um, um, the different things you need to make sure that you're working on. Um, and then of course there are some, some training schedules in there as well, if that's something that you need to, um, and so, so. That's something that even though I don't do long-course triathlon anymore, I still coach a lot of long-course triathletes. And so there's a lot of, of physiology and research that is, um, that is in there that I, that I still apply. Um, but most of the runners, not all, but most of the runners, including myself that I coach, um, have uh, some element of cross-training as well. Um, and so looking at the way that, that cross-training um, can provide benefits for running, and the way that that actually works, um, that was very heavily influenced by by Joe Friel's uh, book as well. Uh, going long, um, he also wrote a different book, by the way, called Fast After Fifty. I'm squeezing this one in, um, which which very heavily influenced me as well um, in terms of the way that I train myself and the way that I train my older athletes. Um, yeah, but it's all it's all about how you train, how you remain fast once you get over the age of fifty. Yeah, very good.
1: What about your training book? Sure, I'll, I'll make mine quick, but mine would be The Science of Running by Steve Magnus. Uh, as you know, I'm a bit of a, a Steve Magnus disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a textbook. I mean, mm-hmm. it's written by a guy who takes a very professorial view towards towards running. It's, it's almost more of an exercise science textbook than an actual um, training book. It mm-hmm. it's, doesn't really include any training plans. He, right. In the appendix, he really has a section where he says, I didn't want to include a training plan, you know, essentially, but my editor made me, so here's a Potential training plan for you know a collegiate athlete. I mean, it was almost like you could tell he was doing it as, as a okay. I have to do this, so here's a quick right. you know example of a training plan. Right. But what it does is it really just kind of breaks down the physiological buckets that you have to tap into mm-hmm. when training you know for a long distance race, whether so it be a 5K, 10K, marathon, et cetera. And he is a an academic at heart, so none of his statements are like blanket statements, so to speak, it, you, know, you won't find anything that says, you must run three times a day, or there were, there'll be no kind of definitive statement, mm-hmm. you know, or secret workouts or magic pill. Mm-hmm. What it is, is it's an up-to-date guide to what scientists know about exercise, health, and performance. It's an evidence-based guide. It doesn't really have answers so much as it offers evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's something that, that can be a bit daunting um, if, if you're new to running, and I certainly wouldn't recommend it to a, a new beginner because uh, it does not provide a single best exercise program or technique that applies to everyone. Right. But rather what it does is it tries to, to draw upon hundreds of peer-reviewed journal articles and sympathize them into some key takeaways that, that coaches need to kind of juggle in their head when they're thinking about training athletes and they're thinking about writing their own training plans. For sure. So yeah. I really enjoyed that.
0: I, I had this book on my list, too, of, of, of you know, when we first said, okay, we're going to talk about books. Okay, let's list a bunch out. I have this on my list, too. Um, you could describe it as a textbook, and I think that's fair. Um, I, it's, it's not. So the, the books that we started out with, we talked about, those are books that you'll read, and you'll read when you're on an airplane, and you'll read before you go to bed, and stuff like that. This is not one of those books. This is not one like, oh, I'm super excited to read this book. No, it's more of a textbook. Um, I mean, I, I'm looking at it sitting on my shelf right now. I use it kind of as a reference book. Um, like yeah I, that's a great point point. And, and so I'll, I'll kind of go back to it because like you said um, he cites a lot of research and explains a lot of research in that book and so that, that's actually what I really like about it is that there's so many research studies that are cited in the book um, and so, so it's kind of fascinating in that regard but you can't read it in big chunks you can't sit down and knock it out in a week you can't sit down and read 75 pages in a single sitting like that's not going to work for you um, and so, so yeah, I do think it's, um, I, I do think it's super worthwhile. Um, and so, so, so it, it, it is very good to read too. Um, Steve Magnus, by the way, we should probably say he was a coach of the Nike Oregon project for a while and now he's the, the head cross country coach at the university of Houston. Um, he also has a podcast, um, that, that I listen to sometimes, but it's kind of the same thing <laughs> that the top podcast feels a little bit like a textbook. <laughs> and so, so I have to kind of be in the right frame of mind in order to listen to his podcast sometimes. Um, Yeah. Um, I would say, okay, so, so let me mention a couple of quick kind of similar books to that. Um, there's another book by a guy named Glenn Cordoza and Kelly Sterrett, which is called the Supple Leopard. And these are kind of CrossFitter type guys. Um, but they, it's kind of a tech, it's this really kind of thick textbook type book that has a lot of exercises in it that, that are built around mobility and functional strength. That's an interesting book that I would recommend if you're looking for something like that as well. But again, it's not a curl up with the book before you go to bed. Um, and then there's another book that's similar to that as well called a new one that came out, I think this year, by a guy named Jay Desherry um, called Running Rewired. Um, and again, very kind of textbooky. y um, has a lot of diagrams about, okay, here's what you should do in order to change your, your movement patterns when you run. Um, and, and, but it's very much a textbook. Um, and so, so there's a few books, kind of like the science of running, you know, supple leopard, running rewired, that I feel are kind of that way as well. Um, yeah, um,
1: can I talk about a couple? And other that ones? one's on my list.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I would say that running rewired, that's on my list. I've heard him on podcasts several yeah. times, and he is phenomenal. And that's on my short list of to be read in the near future. I,
0: I I would say listen to him on podcasts before you actually try and read his book, because because the 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 book. You need to understand where he's coming from a little bit better. And you can understand it when you when you hear him talk. But the book is just kind of a bunch of diagrams. And it's interesting. It's, worth, it's worthwhile. Um, but, but you need to kind of understand where he's coming from a little bit more first. Um, if you are looking for books, by the way, that, that kind of combine some of the storytelling with some of the science, I think, and I've talked about this guy before, I think one of the best people for that is a guy named Matt Fitzgerald. Um, Matt Fitzgerald wrote a book called Iron War um, that was It was a great book that was about the uh, the epic race in the late 1980s uh, in Kona between Mark Allen and Dave Scott um, and he literally uh, Matt Fitzgerald will tell a chapter of that story and then the next chapter will be a bunch of science that relates back to the story and then the next one will be another chapter of the story and then the next chapter will be a whole bunch more science that relates back to that story and so he, he literally mixes in all of these scientific studies into this larger story about this this epic race in Kona in the late 1980s between Dave Scott and Mark Allen he does the same thing in another book called 8020 Um, which is about how all of your training should be 80% aerobic and only 20% hard. Um, He does it also, a lot of people I've heard um, really enjoyed the book that I read called uh, How Bad Do You Want It?, Um, which he released two or three years ago uh, and was kind of on the front end of a lot of this real trend inside of of, um, exercise physiology now about talking about um, the role of the brain in in, uh, endurance performance. Um, and so it's really, really good, too. It has a picture Stephen Fontaine on the cover. Um, so, yeah, um, those books by, by Matt Fitzgerald, I think. If you're looking for something that's interesting to read but also gives you a little bit more science, um, Matt Fitzgerald is a good way to go. Um, as is, by the way, Endure by Alex Hutchinson, which I'm currently reading right now. Um, and so I don't, I don't want to recommend it just yet, but but I'm currently reading it right now. Um, so, yeah, very good.
1: Other thoughts, Patrick? Uh, you you – you jumped ahead of me there. Per- that was perfect. Uh, okay, I was going to say, if you were someone who enjoys the kind of the mixture of research and stories, almost in the kind of Malcolm Gladwell style of, of storytelling yeah. and research,
0: yeah, I think the, that's the two really names to look into, yeah.
1: yeah, the two names to really look into are Matt Fitzgerald and Alex Hutchinson. Yeah. Um, both of them in, in, include books, you know, like Endure, for example, where oftentimes they'll share a story about a, a an extraordinary event. They leave you kind of wondering, how in the world did that happen? And then they go back and say, okay, let's unpack this story and let's look at what the academic research says that might be able to offer some evidence as to why that happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Alex Hutchinson, for example, talks about why it was that he ran his best race, I believe, as a high schooler when he never heard his splits.
0: It was when he was a collegiate runner.
1: College. Yeah. Yeah. Collegiate, okay, thank you. And then he talks about how sometimes mentally we impose self limits even when we don't even realize it, and it actually has, physio- it, it, the mental limits we set on ourselves really have physiological reactions that restrict how fast or how far we can run. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, you know, that's kind of how they tell stories, both Fitzgerald and Alex Hutchinson. You mentioned the book Indoor. It is a phenomenal book. I mean, it, it blends, you know, cutting edge research and, you know, some very memorable stories you hear about Um, You know the kind of the active endurance, you know, both mental endurance and physical endurance. You know, from cyclists to runners to swimmers to um, uh, to deep sea divers who literally can hold their breath for just an extraordinary amount of time, like twenty to thirty minutes. So I highly recommend if you're looking not just for for books to to read, if you're looking for authors, kind of the two big authors I would recommend would be Matt Fitzgerald and Alex Hutchinson for those very reasons because. Yeah. They really know how to kind of straddle the line between storytelling and um, evidence-based research. Yeah,
0: um, I like that you compared him to Malcolm Gladwell. I think that's a really good comparison. Um, that, that Malcolm Gladwell, who who many folks know, was the author of The Tipping Point and the author of Outliers and, and stuff like that. Uh, a real real well-known public intellectual um, who has a podcast now called Revisionist History, which is which is excellent. Um but uh but but yeah, that kinda of mixes together the storytelling with the research. Yeah, I think that's good. You know, interestingly enough, Malcolm Gladwell is from Canada, Alex Hutchinson is from Canada, and and Matt Fitzgerald is from New Hampshire, which is right next to Canada. I'm wondering whether there's something about like that part of the world that breeds people who are able to to storytell and, and blend research really well. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyway. and run fast because yeah. both of them are absurdly yeah. fast milers in high school yeah. and college yeah and Malcolm Gladwell actually rides his bike a lot he had a really good uh, uh, my favorite one of my favorite editions of Lance Armstrong's podcast is when he interviewed Malcolm Gladwell and they talked all about Strava and a couple of other things so yeah it was super good um, yeah if you're uh, if you're looking for training uh, training things um Uh, Advanced Marathoning by Pete Fitzinger and Scott Douglas is, is an older book, but it's an excellent thing is in terms of just having a straight up training plan in it. Uh, it's very good. Uh, The Hansen's Marathon Method by, uh, by Luke Humphrey is, I think a good book when it comes to, you know, if you're looking for a book that has a, a straight up training plan in it, like show me the calendar, tell me why I have to run this stuff and, and I'll run it. Um, I think it's good like that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other, other ones we want to add here to our, at the tail end of our podcast?
1: Well, I would say, so we've already covered the two categories of our, our favorite books about, you know, endurance sports and endurance athletes and our favorite training specific books. Mm-hmm. Now let's move on to our favorite book that is not about running, but maybe has some key takeaways or principles you can apply towards running, training, coaching, and endurance sports in general.
0: Yeah, yeah you and in,
1: in classic form, I'll let you go first. Oh man, see that's tough. All right, so so
0: you and I were kind of talking about this beforehand, and and you know again circling back around to to the Dina Caster book, which again this is like I said, it's on my mind right now. Um, uh, but circling back around to the Dina Caster book there There's a degree to which any book that you read that changes the way that you see the world and changes you can can impact your running right um and so so when I think about books that I've read that that um have have meant a lot to me um personally I think that 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 in turn you could also say okay that, those meant a lot or could potentially mean a lot for my running as well um and so so I think though if I were to say okay Somebody comes up to me and says, George, I want to read a book. It doesn't have to be a current book. doesn't have to be any other book. So give me one book to read. What book should I read? Um, probably the book I would say is Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. Um, it's, a, it's a brilliant book. Nelson Mandela, as many of you know, was, was uh, born in South Africa in about 1920. I want to say 1918. Um, and and um, was a lawyer um, and then um, uh, ultimately became a uh, lawyer. Uh, a civil rights activist against the apartheid regime in South Africa um, was arrested in the 1960s. Um, he he was initially a nonviolent activist, and then he turned to violence. Which, like even that, I think is is kind of fascinating. Um, he was portrayed as a terrorist and was put in jail um, for more than 20 years in South Africa. Um, became while he was in jail a symbol of the anti-apartheid struggle and the the, the global civil rights struggle, um, and then he, when he emerged from jail, immediately not only recognized the importance and the power of his public persona and was very responsible around it, um, but also did not in any way compromise on a lot of the the the, the ideas he had um, in his youth. So it wasn't as if spending 20 plus years in jail had mellowed him or had made him, uh, more, um, more willing to placate, uh, the, the, his oppressors. Um, and so, so came out and then helped write a new constitution for the country and then was elected its first black president in 1994. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's his mem- memoir. It's his story um uh and that that he writes is his autobiography. And so uh an inspiring book and, and one that I think uh has heavily influenced not only the way that I see the world, but the way that I see politics, um and and um the way that I think about what I need to do for myself, um and, and the sort of person I need to be. Yeah. Um what about you? Have you read Long Walk to Freedom, Patrick?
1: I have no, but it's on the short list. Yeah. So Right. You you may have helped kind of push it up the uh, a yeah. few rankings so to speak. L- like I said, if somebody comes now to now why me and we're why, why that book, book over maybe yeah so why that book over maybe other you know historical books or other books about civil rights movements throughout the world? Um, w- what about that one in particular
0: kind of yeah. stands out? I mean, good, good question. There, I mean, there's a lot of other books I've read about civil rights and, and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos, Our Community by Martin Luther King is just brilliant. Um, Walking with the Wind by John Lewis is is profoundly uh, impactful for me in the way that I see the world. Um, that That's super important. Um, uh, Václav Havel, who was, um, like Emil Zátopek, um, uh, fought against a lot of the, the repressive regime in Czechoslovakia. And then he himself was also elected president the way that Nelson Mandela was um uh he wrote uh, a lot of he, he was a playwright and so his writing is not only powerful um but it's beautiful <laughs> do you see what i mean um and so and then he he uh, spent a lot of time in jail there was a reading from Bakov Havel at, at my wedding um I, I i that one was great too um but to answer your question the reason why i would recommend that one if somebody said okay give me one book um i think there's two reasons number one because i think it's really accessible um, like the story that he tells and the way that he tells it, it's very accessible. Um, and that's not to say it's easy or dumbed down or anything like that, but it's just a story that, that that's easily relatable that we can hear. Um, and, and, he tells it in a way that, that is very honest and it's very open and it's very, um, comprehensible. Um, and then the second reason I think is because the apartheid regime in South Africa, which, for those who don't know, it was the official policy of racial segregation and subjugation in place in South Africa from 1948 until 1994. Um, it was so vicious and so comprehensive and so well-planned because it had to be because it was 10% of the population, the white percent of population, oppressing 90% of the population. And so when you have only 10% oppressing 90%, it has to be vicious and comprehensive and just uh, brilliantly nefarious, if that makes sense. Um, and so, it, it, it in that context, what he writes and what he describes, um, it, it crystallizes a lot of the ideas a lot more, if that makes sense. Um, if you read about somebody who... who grew up in privilege and, and and kind of sees oppression in place where you could argue that maybe there's not oppression, like the ideas aren't as, as powerful, I think. Um, but for him, mm-hmm. who grew up in the face of such ugly, difficult, undeniable, overt oppression, um, uh, it makes the story that much more compelling and powerful.
1: Does that make sense? Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, he's, and, he's, and, and it tells it in story form, too, so it yeah. really kind of helps yeah. bring the humanness to yeah. the policies and procedures.
0: Yeah. And, and, he's again, he's inspiring, too. I mean, the, the, when he came out of jail in, in 1990 or 1991, um, he was such a powerful symbol, and, and, and South Africa was on such a precipice at that point that he could have easily said, let's kill all the white people and blood would have run in the street and civil war would have ensued and, and that country and that region of the globe would still today be in chaos. He could have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, but to his credit, he recognized, no, I'm not going to do that. I have the power to do that. And I have even like one could even say the justification I've been locked away in a cell for 27 years, um, for, for effectively political reasons. Um, he you know, one could say he was justified in having some bitterness towards the people who had jailed him. But he didn't say that. And he recognized the power of his words and he said, Let's try and 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 come together and build a South Africa that will work for everybody here. Um and and that to me is is profound, um and 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 amazing. Um and, and so yeah, and it's and it's worthy of praise. So um all right, so yeah. Most pleasant exhaustion. We kind of got off on that one, but <laughs> so 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 you you tell me the one book.
1: You tell me the one book. All right. So my one book when when people ask for for my favorite book that I've read probably over the last five to ten years or so has to be the book *Sapiens*. Um, hmm. It's by uh, now I can't even think of his pronounce the name correctly, but Yuval Noah Harari. Um, so just to kind of give you a little bit of backtrack or a little is bit of it, an it, insight. Into it's, what the it's, book.
0: It's, it's sapiens as in like homo sapiens, right?
1: That is correct. Okay, yeah. And that's exactly what the book is about. It is about, it is a brief history of homo sapiens. Okay. Uh, and the reason I enjoy it so much, not just as, just a kind of history buff, but also, and just kind of curious mind, but also just as a runner, is because it is fascinating how he, he, Retells the stories and the lives and activities of the earliest, you know, proto humans, you know, the, the Neanderthals, the Homo erectus, and eventually the Homo sapiens. But it, it turns into an examination of why we are the way we are and how, after hundreds of thousands of years of surviving and pretty much existing in the middle, middle of the food chain, how we rocketed up to the top of the food chain and became essentially the dominant species on Earth. Mm-hmm. And he actually argues that it doesn't really have some much to do with our, you know, our thumbs or any kind of physical um, power that we have over other creatures, but instead it really kind of boils down to our ability to create myths and create stories, hmm. right? And the reason that, that he says that that is such an important part of, you know, humans being the, the dominant species that we are is because we now have, unlike other animals, we have the power to kind of break away from our instincts. Right because we are the the one creature that can understand delayed gratification mm-hmm. on a very complex scale mm-hmm. right So for example, when we think about what a myth or a fiction or a story is, it is essentially a, a collective idea or a, a collective moral um, morale or code which kind of solidifies hey, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, all of our systems like our legal and social and religious and social and political systems are all based on on stories, right? If you do this, this will happen. And even sports, to some degree, like running, are based on those same kind of principles. If you do that, if you run this ball across this end zone, you will get six points, the, you know, all of which is imaginary, but we create value in our head. Mm. And it, it's pretty fascinating to, to think about just how important the idea of being able to think in the long term. And to make the imaginary real, and to even imagine to begin with, really has an impact on who we are and what we can accomplish as a species and as people.
2: Hmm.
1: So that's kind of one big thing I love about the the book. The other thing, too, that's just absolutely fascinating as a runner and as a coach is when you read the book, you realize how much running and long distance running specifically plays such a huge impact on the evolution of humanity. Yeah. Um, so, f- for those of you who don't know, people are really kind of the best runners there are on Earth. Um, If you look at a lot, you know, our marathon times, there aren't other animals out there that are running two thirty marathons, two forty marathons. Mm-hmm. Even trained racehorses, I believe the fastest one is like a two thirty seven, mm-hmm. and that's like the fastest ever. Right on. And you know, if, if you think about it too, the, the reason why it running is such an important part of us as a species is one, that's how we hunted as, as he talks about in this book is, you know, there's, there's this theory that we essentially, we couldn't sprint fast enough to catch an animal and we're not big enough to, you know, overpower our, our prey. So what we did is we just chased until so they eventually died from exhaustion, mm-hmm. you know, which is why we have skin and not fur. you know, or, or skin that is um, exposed to the sun because we can dissipate heat and, sweat away heat and an intense summer chase in a way that other animals can't.
2: Right.
1: Um, and the other thing, too, is if you think about it, long distance running really kind of plays into that idea of us being the only animal that can kind of have delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we're the one animal that doesn't, you know, see if, you know, just take off running. We're we're the kind of one animal that, that plays the long game, so to speak. Hmm. So there's kind of a, a, a chicken or the egg thing where it's like, well, were we the best runners on Earth first? And then over time, we kind of developed this this frontal cortex that allowed us to think through problems in a way other animals cannot. Or did the, the change in the brain happen first? And then over time, we developed stronger, longer legs. We developed an Achilles tendon that could store and return energy to our legs you know, with each stride in a way that that other animals are not allowed to. Um, so it's kind of just interesting to think about and see the interplay between our physical changes, our physiological changes, and our emotional cognitive changes as yeah, well. Yeah, so it's a pretty fascinating book.
0: Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. My, my wife and I, the first couple of years that we were married, she's a scientist by training. She has a, a, a bachelor's and master's in ecology. Um, and the, uh, the, the first year that we were married, the first few years that we were married, she, she, we used to pick books and we'd buy two copies of them we'd, and we'd both read them. Um, and usually they had kind of a science bent to them. So maybe I'll reinstitute mm-hmm. that in 2019 and, and, and we'll read this book because that sounds super interesting. I, I I like where you're going with it. Yeah, very cool.
1: Yeah, now, and and there's one actually piece that really um, kind of hones in on that particular theme. Uh, and I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of working adults now can really relate to this. But he, he talks about how, You know, humans were originally built for for running and jumping and chasing. And then we discovered wheat, and that really changed our entire lifestyle, right? We went from running and chasing to being, to protecting, right? So called the Neolithic Revolution, yes. Right. And he has a quote here I want to read that says, the body of Homo sapiens had not evolved for farming. It was adapted to climbing apple trees and running after gazelles, not to clearing rocks and carrying water buckets. Human spines, knees, necks, and arches paid the price. Studies of ancient skeletons indicate that the transition to agriculture brought about a plethora of ailments such as slip disc, arthritis, and hernias. Moreover, the new agricultural tasks demanded so much time that people were forced to settle permanently next to their wheat fields. This completely changed their way of life. We did not domesticate wheat. Wheat domesticated us. Cool. And that to me is, think about how most of us live our lives, you know, working desk jobs and working very stationary jobs and living very stationary lifestyles. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's fascinating to think about what we were originally built for and the effects our, our kind of new updated lifestyle has mm-hmm. on the kind of the aches and pains that we have and the ailments that we have in, in modern society.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, and you think about like the studies that we've talked about before. Um you know one of them that came out earlier this year that effectively showed that that the biggest contributor to longevity was running <laughs> that 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 right if you wanted to live longer, you needed to run like like not not smoking was not a as as much of a contributor to to longevity as going on and running was um and so so mm-hmm. you, you wonder if there's a there's an overlap there that that we are born to run as as chris mcdougall said in yet another book um so yeah very good very good well cool man we've uh we, we've you, you tied it back to running much better than i did i think um but <laughs> but but we've definitely talked a lot a lot of books over the course of the last little while um I'll, uh, when, 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 when we post this, I'll make sure that I actually post the list on our uh, Most Pleasant Exhaustion Facebook page as well. Um, when we uh, talked about our, our bucket list races a couple weeks ago, somebody asked if, if we could post a list. And I was like, that's a great idea. And then I haven't done it yet. Um, and so, so I'll be sure to post this list as well. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, if you're looking for gift ideas, this is what the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast suggests here. So, final words, Patrick.
1: Yes, I do have one final plug. Um, mm. So my, my uncle is actually a comedian. Um, you, you can hear him performing at the Laughing Skull and the, the Laughing Skull Lounge here in Atlanta. Um, and he wrote a book called You Should Totally Get an MBA, a Comedian's <laughs> Guide Towards Business School and kind of the, the corporate world. Um, so if any of you are in, in, in banking, consulting, or, or anything of that nature where you're kind of used to the kind of high performance-driven workplace, uh, he provides a rather comedic view of it um, in the book. You should totally get an MBA. So I do have to get that quick plug in there while right I can. On, right so uh, I've read it several times. It's it's pretty humorous.
0: Very good, very good. Glad you mentioned it. Um, well, all right, everybody. Um, uh, thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Patrick, thanks to you. Uh, pleasure as always. I enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George at George at ITLcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, Patrick at ITOcoaching.com. You can send us an email at PleasantPodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast or on Facebook, Facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at ITLcoaching.com, at ITL Coaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash Blue Pineapple Travel, Blue and on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Blue Pineapple Travel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast.